Welcome to the City Hills Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that the message today helped you encounter God, love people, and discover purpose. For more information about who we are as a church, head over to cityhillschurchsd.com. If you would like to partner with us financially, click the Give button at the top of the homepage on our website. And now, let's jump right into the message. Well, happy Easter. We're so excited that you decided to hang out with us today for this special service. And I hope that right where you are, no matter where you're watching, you get a lot out of it. And it means so much that we get to be a part of this special day with you and your family. Today, we're actually kicking off a brand new series called Didn't See That Coming. And for those of you who know me, you know that I love the movies. I absolutely love everything about the movies. I love watching the character development. I love the music. I love the way that the story moves and, and flows. And whether it's an action movie, whether it's a romantic comedy, whether it's sci-fi, man, I'll go see whatever with you. Like, I love the movies, all of them. But one of my favorite parts of theater is when there's a plot twist. I love it when there's just a moment in there where you go, oh my goodness, I didn't see that coming. Your heart's racing and then just this twist happens. And in Hollywood, there have been just incredible directors who have been able to do those moments better than most, right? And, and one of them, if you go back in the day, is Alfred Hitchcock, an incredible storyteller, incredible at just making a really cool plot twist that you just didn't see coming. But for my generation, the director I think of first when I think of that is M. Night Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan had prides himself on his storytelling and, and kind of bringing you down a certain path and then all of a sudden just turning you the opposite direction. We saw that in movies like The Sixth Sense with Bruce Willis and the whole idea was, I see dead people. And the huge twist at the end of the movie was, well, he was dead. No wonder you could see dead people. The twist was that the little boy could see him even though he was dead. And so it was just a cool twist that you didn't see coming. But one of my favorites from M. Night Shyamalan is actually the movie The Village. Now, it wasn't super popular. It didn't make a million trillion dollars like, you know, an Avengers movie. But it has this following of people that if you watch it and you let the story really take over, it is so fascinating how it plays out. And the idea behind the village was that there's this small group of people living in the 19th century and they're, you know, they're farming their own land. They're, they're just trying to survive. They're living in these very simple homes, this old raggedy clothes that they make themselves. I mean, just that typical like living on the farm thousands of years, hundreds of years back. And part of the issue was that in their village, there were these monsters that would come out at night, these monsters that would keep them near their homes. And whenever they ventured out, someone would get attacked. And it was just this crazy situation that they kind of lived in fear and you never know what was happening. And so it was just this thrilling movie where you're constantly on the edge of your seat because of these monsters that are there. But at a certain point in the movie, you come to realize that the monsters are actually the leaders of the village dressed up, trying to force the people to stay inside of this village. And you're like, oh, man, that's a crazy twist. That's just the beginning. As they venture further and deeper into the woods, what you end up realizing is that they're not living in the 19th century. 
They're actually in the center of a like national park, this reserve that they're just this tiny little village, but it's actually like the year 2003. Like when they venture out and they get to this fence line, they realize they're not stuck in, in this 19th century lifestyle. They're, they're actually in a modern world and the, the village leaders were trying to keep them in this one little area so they would never know what was actually really going on. And it's just this twist that you absolutely did not see coming. And for me, I, I remember being in the movies standing up going, what? And for me, that's a big deal. Like, I take the movie serious. Like, I am a silent movie watcher. I didn't come here to chit chat and for us to make out. I paid $97 to watch this movie and get a bag of popcorn. We ain't, we can talk and make out at the points. Like, I am here to see what's gonna happen in this movie, right? Uh, anybody else, just raise your hand real quick. If that's you in the movie theater, wait, what just happened? No! No, you gotta pay attention. If you can't pay attention, that's on you. I'll tell you after the movie, but don't interrupt. This is serious. But I remember standing up literally in the theater like, Wow, I did not see that ending coming. I didn't see that coming at all. And in our lives, there are those didn't see that coming moments that are really good, right? An unexpected raise, a promotion that comes up. Uh, someone that you run into at Starbucks that you haven't seen in years, and it's just this beautiful moment of reconnecting and, and being able to like share your stories and it just makes your day so much better. There's didn't see that coming moments that are just really awesome and uplifting. But if we're being honest, a lot of times the didn't see that coming moments are ones that take our breath away. It's moments that are painful. Maybe for you it was a health scare or an update from a doctor Maybe for some of you, like my family, it was an unforeseen death to someone that was close to you. Maybe for some of you, it was just a job loss, right? This Through this season that we just walked through, maybe you lost your job and, and you just didn't see it coming. Let's just be honest, a pandemic. Who in the world thought that we would all live through a pandemic that just like blew up the world? We didn't see that coming. And it's in those moments, look at this on the screen, it's in these unbalanced moments that we discover what's really beneath our feet. It's in these moments that we discover where our priorities really lie. It's in those moments that we realize what matters most to us, what, what really is foundational for us to feel sane and to feel safe and to feel like, okay, everything's gonna be okay. Everything's fine, we're good. Like what are those things underneath your feet that keep you steady? And it's these didn't see that coming moments that make it abundantly clear for us. But those are things that we have to recognize and evaluate. And so I wanna challenge you right off the bat to ask yourself, as we're going through this message today, to ask yourself this. If you were to be honest, what is your life currently built on? What is your life currently built on? What do you think are those foundational things that keep you steady and sane? We're gonna take a look at that in just a few minutes, but today is Easter after all. And for those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers, Easter should be the most significant day on the calendar every single year. 
The reason why is while Christmas is awesome and everybody gets presents and it's beautiful, Easter represents something that's unique and it's special. It represents to us the day when Jesus rose from the dead, that, that he died for our sins on the cross and that three days later he rose from the dead. What separated him from every other spiritual leader in history he died and came back to life. Like that is it's a huge monumental moment. And so for us, it represents Jesus bridging the gap between a broken and a fallen world with a loving and gracious creator. Jesus is bridging that gap for us. Jesus is the answer to our purpose, to our calling, to our meaning in life, and to our hope for the future. But for the guys, that were closest to Jesus while he was on the earth, his disciples. Their entire three plus years of living with Jesus was an everyday, I didn't see that coming moment, right? It was just constant. They were always on their toes. They were always on the edge of their seats because it was just this constant, confusing thing. I mean, even from the virgin birth to just this un spectacular upbringing, none of those things seemed like what would happen for the Messiah. You see, for the Jewish culture, they were being, there was prophecies, there was history, there were stories being told of this Messiah that was to come. And it didn't sound or look like the story of Jesus, right? Like it's, it's not what they expected. This was not the, the Messiah the Jews were counting on. What they were looking for, what they expected, was a political revolutionary. They thought that this Messiah would come in and they, he would push out all of their enemies. At the time, Israel was being ran, it was being led by the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was spreading all over in its, in its famous ruling of the world as the, as the superpower. And Israel was wrapped up in that. And so the Romans were lording over Israel. And so the Jews were thinking the Messiah is going to come and he's going to raise Israel back up to the superpower. And he's going to push out all of our enemies. And he's going to take back Israel and Jerusalem. He's going to take it back from the Romans. And that's the Messiah that's coming. He's going to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's going to rule. For many of them, they look to the Messiah as being that bridge back to God because in their culture, it had actually been 400 years since they had had a prophet. 400 years since they felt like the Lord had spoken specifically to someone to give them a word. In their mind, God was silent, not for four days, not for four years, but for 400. So they were looking for the Messiah to come and read connect them. But the Messiah that showed up was shocking and confusing, and I'm sure for many of them was really frustrating because he did not look or sound or live or act like the Messiah that they expected. Jesus was the Messiah they didn't see coming for several reasons. The first one is this, they didn't see a forgiving friend coming. Look at this in, in Mark chapter 2. This is the account of Jesus calling one of his disciples. And the person that he chose to call as one of his disciples just made no sense whatsoever in their culture. Mark 
chapter 2, starting in verse 14. As he walked along, Jesus, this is Jesus walking, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. We don't have to dig into it too deep, but tax collectors were very, very hated in this culture because not only did they take your money, but they were taking your money for Rome, right? They were taking taxes to pay Caesar. But not only that, these dudes were kind of shady. So what they would do is they would, if they needed $10 for Rome, they would charge you 13 and they would just shave off that three for them. So these guys were making money off of their own people while working for the government that had taken over the world. So they were hated. Everyone hated the tax collectors. And here Jesus is inviting one to be a part of his close-knit group that were going to follow him. He says, hey, give up your life and come hang out with me and follow him. And he does. Verse 15, later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. I love this. I love this little section here. There were many people of this kind among Jesus's followers. A bunch of jacked up sinners. There was a bunch of those kind of followers who were following after Jesus. I just love that about him. Verse 16, but when the teachers of the religious law, when the preachers who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? And scum is actually a nice word. When you look at the original language, they were being a little inappropriate. Like they were, this was like, what, if this is your Messiah, what is he doing with those people? Like the worst of the worst. And when Jesus heard this, verse 17, he told him, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. We, we find a Messiah who's associated with sinners and, and people who were the polar opposites of him. This was a Messiah. This was a savior who would go to parties with people that religious people had nothing to do with. He would go to the parties, not because he wanted to party it up, but he was going to influence and make a difference in their life, to be there to answer questions, to be there to show God's love and grace, to make an impact on their lives. And Jesus associated, he was known as the friend of sinners. That's not what they expected of the Messiah. Honestly, for us, when we read the Bible now, we're like, oh, what makes all the sense in the world? I mean, why wouldn't he hang out with the people who needed to be connected to God? But in this culture, that was beyond a big no-no. Like that was like, no, you can't do that. We don't do those kind of things. We don't associate with those kind of people. So Messiah, who's a loving friend, a forgiving friend, made no sense whatsoever. Jesus blew it up even further. We see in, in John chapter four, there's a time where Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman, which was, he blew up all the cultural lines, all the rules of society. He just was like, yeah, that's cute. I'm going to cross all those lines because I'm going to do something crazy. And he's sitting there and he's talking with a Samaritan. First of all, a Samaritan was somebody that just like the tax collectors, they were, they were considered half-blood people. We did, the Jews had nothing at all to do with the Samaritan. So here Jesus is talking to a Samaritan. But worse than that, 
she's a woman. Like women in this culture were below. Like they, they it was almost like servanthood. It was not, you, Jesus, you, you can't do that. Do you know what people will say about you if they see you talking to a Samaritan? Do you know what people will say about you if they see you talking to a woman? And you put both of those together, Jesus, you're trying to blow up things. But not only did Jesus sit there and have a conversation with her, but he, for the first time that we see in the Gospels, in the earliest part of, of the Gospels, Jesus reveals to her that he is the Messiah. He hadn't even told his disciples that. He says, the one that the Jews and the Samaritans and everyone is waiting for, I'm that dude. And with the story that follows is incredible of how a whole city is, is turned and connected with Jesus because of this conversation with this woman. It's amazing. Jesus was a forgiving and a loving friend of the people that no one else wanted anything to do with. The second thing that they didn't see coming was they didn't see a loving servant coming. Again, what they thought was going to be the Messiah was going to be someone who, who kicked out all of Rome, who came and took over things again, that was going to rule with the right heart, but rule like heavy-handed because that's, that's the only leadership model that they had seen. I mean, think about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were supposed to be the ones connected with God. And the way that they led was with anger and pushing people out and judgment and, and hatred and just this constant need to try to be right. The way they saw a leadership modeled was self-serving and elevating yourself and nothing at all to do with humility or love or grace or any of those things. And so when Jesus rolls onto the scene, they're confused because he's supposed to be the son of God. And the way that he leads is that his heart is moved by compassion for people. The Pharisees weren't moved by compassion. The Romans certainly weren't moved by compassion. And here it is, the guy who says he's the son of God, his heart is moved about caring for people and, and meeting the needs of people and, and serving them in the best way that he can. They saw a leader whose life was marked by humility. Again, the son of God, the savior of the world, the Messiah, who is moved and, and just stirred by this mentality and this lifestyle of humility. It's not at all what they saw coming. In John 13, we see the ultimate power move of Jesus in being the servant. In John 13, 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Again, just, Jesus knows who he is. This is like, this is making it clear. Jesus wasn't like confused. Jesus knew who he was. He was the Son of God, the Messiah. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist. He poured water into a basin and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Jesus did something that the lowest of the servants would do, that the servants that were waiting for you at, at the door would do that with your feet being filthy and dirty as you walked into the home, a servant would clean your feet and dry them off so that you could enter the house. And here it is, Jesus. Jesus is doing that for his disciples. And they, they are freaking out. They're like, what are you doing? Leaders don't do this, but Jesus goes, this is what I'm calling you to. Look at, look at this truth. 
Knowing he had authority, Jesus chose to serve. Jesus chose to surrender his life. And man, if that doesn't hit home for you, I don't know what will. The God of all creation, the savior of the world, the one who was going to rescue everyone, the one who has all power, all authority, all knowledge, Instead of lording that over people, what he chose to do with it is to serve, to humble himself, to lead and live with compassion for other people. That's the example that we saw. And guys, it blew their minds. And for us, it would blow our minds to see the greatest of leaders humble themselves to a point that they're serving the homeless, that they're rescuing the orphans, that they're caring for the hurting and the broken, when we see that, when we see people who are leaders doing those things, it moves us because it's not something that's common. And in this culture, it absolutely blew their minds. The third thing that they didn't see coming is they didn't see a willing sacrifice coming. They didn't see this coming. In Matthew 16, as as he gives an account of what's going on in the days leading up to Jesus's death and his resurrection. In verse 21, it says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this is not going to happen. We're not going to let this happen. Listen, everyone's kind of hard on Peter, but Peter is just saying what everyone else is thinking. Whoa, 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 what are you talking about? We're just getting started here. We're just making an impact. The people are coming from all over the place. You're healing people. There's miracles. There's just... Day after day, we're seeing lives change. Jesus, what are you talking about? You're going to go to Jerusalem and be beat up and killed? I I, I don't know what you're talking about. You're going to die and you're going to come back three days later. No, no, no. Forget all that stuff. You're not going anywhere. This is just getting started. And Jesus looks at him and he turns to Peter and he says, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. I think a lot of times we, we miss it and we think that Jesus is calling Peter Satan. He's, he's calling out what Satan was trying to do behind him. Because look at this, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Jesus is saying, Peter, I love your heart, but what the enemy is doing is trying to distract me from my purpose. This is what I'm called to do. This is what I'm here to do. Get behind me. You're not going to distract me. You're not going to take me off mission. Stop. I've got this. Jesus takes it even further in verse 24. He says to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Jesus says you're seeing things from a human point of view and missing what God is doing. And can I be real with you? Man, this happens in my life time after time after time. 
that I'm trying to do something. I'm praying about something. I'm trying to lead in a certain way. I'm trying to accomplish something. And God's going, oh, Danny, 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 you're, you're missing it. You're seeing this from your point of view. You're seeing this from the way that you think things are going to play out. You're trying to do it in your own power. But listen, you're not seeing it the way that I'm seeing it. And for some of you, I think you can relate that you, you're just trying to, you're trying to do the right thing. Peter was just trying to do the right thing. Like who in the world would want to hear that the one who's going to save everyone, no, no, you, you're going to die. Oh, okay, cool. No, we would all, we'd all stand up and go, wait, no, 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 no. This is not what it's supposed to look like. And some of you are fighting for your own life saying, this is what it's supposed to look like. And God's inviting you into something different where he says, hey, I'm asking you to surrender that all. I'm asking you to take up your cross. I'm asking you to give up your life for me. Because when you do that, you'll actually find more life than you ever could imagine. I asked you earlier what your life is built on. It's in this moment that we have to, to think about this. Because here's why that matters. Jesus is calling you to make him the leader of your life. He's asking you to surrender your agenda, your way, your plans, what you thought life was going to look like. Jesus is asking you to surrender that to him. He's asking you to put your hope and your trust that he's good and that he has an incredible plan for your life. He's saying, hey, if you're willing to give up your life for me, if you're willing to surrender control to me, if you're willing to legitimately let me be the Lord of your life, there's incredible things that I want to do in your life. As a church, we've, we've kind of made this feel like it's just such a simple thing of, oh, well, all you have to do is you pray a prayer and, and then everything's all good. It's so much more than that. Yes, it starts with a prayer. Yes, it starts with you praying, Jesus, I, I want you to be the leader of my life. I want to I embrace this gift that you've given me. I want to believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross and you rose again. I, I want to do all that, but that's just a start. It's an invitation to a journey where we daily take up our cross. We daily die to ourselves and we go, Jesus, I don't want to do it my way. I want to do it yours. The author Mark Clay says it this way. It's a call to reprioritize your relationships, your marriage, your job, your money, your parenting, your neighbors. You don't get to compartmentalize Jesus. He wants total access. And some of you, you, you would consider yourself a Jesus follower, but you try to compartmentalize Jesus. You try to put him in this little box and you can have this, this part of my week and this part of my day and this part of my life, but this part here, I want to be able to do it on my own. And Jesus is like, nah, it doesn't really work that way. Actually, it doesn't work that way at all. I want all of it, not because he's some greedy, overbearing leader. We just saw his life modeled. He wants all of it because he knows what's best for you, that when you lean into him, that return on investment is the greatest gift you could ever receive. The return on the investment as you surrender your life, when we surrender it all to him, we gain access to a life full of purpose, a life full of power, not power in political power, power over people. We gain it in the power of, of the ability to, to make an impact and to change our world, to change our neighborhoods, to change our family, to change our workplaces. When we surrender to him, it's, 
It, it gives us access to a life that's full of peace, even when we're in pain. That it gives us strength when we hit rock bottom. That it, it gives us hope that there's a future on the other side of our storm. Jesus isn't saying that you surrender and everything is all easy. He's saying that in the midst of your storm, in the midst of what you're walking through, I can promise you that as you surrender to me, I will help you find purpose and I will help you find healing. That's his promise to us, that, that when we surrender at all, it's the greatest investment. Look at this truth, and this is what I really want you to see. What you're being called to, what Jesus is calling you to, is to be the same thing that he was. He's calling you to be that forgiving friend to be that loving servant, and to be that willing sacrifice. Think about it. Jesus is calling you to be that forgiving friend, that person who isn't the, the outsider who's looking to judge, but looking at that person that's nearby, that's looking to share the grace of God. That's That would be considered a friend of sinners, a person that you can be in, in every single circle, no matter whether they believe in Jesus or they don't. Jesus isn't calling you to be in this like little holy huddle that you only hang out with Christians. Jesus says, no, I want you to be like me. I want you to be in your workplaces, in your family. I want you to be around people who look different than you and think different than you and vote different than you and believe different than you. I want you to be there because I want to use you to be a light and an influence in those things, to be a loving friend. Jesus calls us to be a loving servant, a servant who their lives aren't just about themselves, about getting their own gain, their own agenda, about making things happen. But a, a person, he's calling us, guys, he's calling us to be people who were moved with compassion, who were who leading their lives with humility. That it is not about us, but that we're connected to this bigger and this greater purpose of changing the world around us. Jesus wants to change your life and he wants to change your world. That's what he's inviting you into. But he's also inviting you to be a willing sacrifice. Look at those words again. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And the question is, are you willing to sacrifice it all for Jesus? Are you willing to surrender your plans, your purpose, your ideas, your picture of the future? Are you willing to surrender that and lean all the way in to what he wants to do in your life? As you think about that, I want you to reflect back on the disciples as they're standing there at the cross. I want you to put yourself in their shoes. They had they'd walked with Jesus day in and day out. They had seen miracle after miracle. They knew that this dude was the son of God. He was, he was the Messiah. I mean, there was still some doubt and some confusion, but he had proven a lot. And here he is hanging, beaten and bloodied on a cross. And I can imagine for them, they're thinking to themselves, man, I, I gave up my livelihood. I gave up my career. I gave up my job. I, I gave it all up in order to pursue the kingdom of God. I, I did it all to be with him. And now he's, he's dead. He's dead. I mean, he's, he's hanging on a cross. And I can imagine for the disciples as they watched the breath 
leave his body as they watched the blood drain from him that that the doubts started to creep in the fear starts to creep in and they asked themselves did i really give my life up for nothing did i really just give it all up for nothing they had forgotten all of the words that he said about a resurrection. They're standing there in a the moment. And the way that we know that is because the Bible tells us that the rest of the disciples, they ran away. Everyone scattered when people were like, hey, were you with Jesus? Peter was like, I don't know. I don't know that dude at all. Like they, they were just shook to the core because they just watched who they thought was their hope die. They didn't see it coming but they soon would. In Luke 24, we see the account of the resurrection. It says this in verse one, but very early on Sunday morning, three days later, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And as they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. And the women were terrified and they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Verse six, he isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the son of man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. Don't you remember in verse eight, then they remembered that he had said this. Oh yeah. It was this epiphany moment for him. The last thing that they missed, guys, look at this. What they didn't see coming, they didn't see a risen Savior coming. In the midst of their pain, in the midst of their confusion, in the midst of their fears, of their doubts, their questions of whether or not now were the Romans and the Jews going to come and try to kill them after they just killed Jesus. In the midst of all of that happening, they didn't see the risen Savior coming it took a while for many of them to even believe what the women were saying until Jesus started showing up on the scene and they're like, oh my goodness, what is happening here? Jesus! And he's like, guys, I told you, I, I, I told you three days. Like I literally told you how many days it was gonna be. I told you how many days and you still didn't believe and it just shook them. And, and for some of you, I think there's something important that I don't want you to miss. For some of you, you are like the women that were in that tomb. You've been looking for life among the dead. You've been looking for something to give you life and purpose and hope, and you've been going to all the wrong sources and you don't understand why it's not fulfilling you. And the reason why is because you're trying to find life in something that's dead. And Jesus is telling you right now in this moment, guys, I am the life that you're looking for. Guys, I am the purpose that you're looking for. That, that feeling that you wake up in the morning that, man, I, I know that I'm created for more. You're absolutely right. You were created for him. What you might not see coming is the fact that the God who created the world has done everything he could to provide this moment for you to connect with him. He did everything needed. He provided the savior that we need. He provided the answer. He provides the life. He provides the hope. He provides the, the other option outside of fear. He gives us the opportunity to step into our purpose, into our calling, into our meaning, into our influence. He calls us to do those things, but it starts with Jesus. 
Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. Guys, we have to stop looking for life among the dead. The answer you're looking for for your life, the answer you're looking for for your purpose, the answer you're looking for to find fulfillment, to find like you're complete, to fill that void, that hole in your life, the the thing that keeps drawing you back to those broken habits, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer and he's calling you today to be all in. The guys who walked with him every single day, they still didn't get it. They still didn't get it until he showed up on the scene and goes, hey guys, I'm here and Jesus is doing that for you right now as you watch this. Jesus is standing right before you saying, guys, I'm here. I'm here. What you're looking for can be found in me. I'm here. Are you ready? Are you ready to take that jump? Are you ready to embrace the life that you didn't see coming? Are you ready for the plot twist in the story of your life where you surrender it all, you give it all up, you put it all on the table, but instead of losing everything, you find everything you've been hoping for? Are you ready for that plot twist in your story? Because I believe God wants to do that for you right now in this moment. And if you're ready, I want to pray with you. Right now, I want to pray with you that God would answer every one of those needs that you've been looking for. That even those of you who have called yourself a follower of Jesus for a long time, that right now in this moment, that you would give him access to every area. You'd put it all on the table. That when we surrender it all to him, when we give up our life for him, that's when we find our true life. Come on. Let's pray together right now. Heavenly Father, in this moment, I thank you that you have provided the way that we need. As we saw just last month in our series, Jesus is the way, he's the truth, he's the life, that he is the only way for us to be reconnected with you. He's the only way for us to find the salvation and the hope that we need. So Jesus, I pray right now for that person who hasn't made that decision before. Maybe for those who who made that decision that it was just a prayer that they prayed one time when they were a teenager, a prayer that they prayed one time when they were in church. But Jesus, they, they haven't really surrendered at all. They really haven't made you the leader and the Lord of their life, that they haven't really bought in to all that you want to do. Jesus, I pray right now that you would give them the courage and the boldness to trust you with everything that they have. Jesus, we pray the simple prayer that just starts an incredible and crazy journey with you. We pray the prayer that just simply says, Jesus, I make you the leader of my life. I make you the Lord of my life. God, I surrender everything to you. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of trying to do it my own way. Forgive me of trying to be my own leader. And and I know that every time I do that, God, it leads me to to places that are just full of death. and, And maybe momentarily it feels like there's life, but it's never lasting. Jesus, I pray right now that you give me that everlasting life with you. I surrender it all. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died. I believe you rose again, and I trust you for my present, and I trust you for my future, because I know that you've forgiven my past. 
Jesus, we pray that in your name. God, for the rest of us, I pray that we would lean into this, that what we didn't see coming was this story where we're called to be a forgiving friend, to be a loving servant, to be a willing sacrifice. Give us the boldness and the courage to be those things. And God, as we learn more about this, as we dig into this with you, as we experience your calling on our lives, God, we pray that you would just open the doors that only you could, that we would be amazed by the way that we're able to connect people to you because you are the answer that our world is looking for. Jesus, we love you. We celebrate you. We thank you that you weren't just a martyr who died on a cross for our sins, but you were a savior who was risen with all power, with all authority, and that you have an everlasting future that is before us. Jesus, I thank you and we celebrate you for all that you've done and all that you will continue to do. We pray all of this in the strong and the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed the message today. We would love to be able to partner with you on your faith journey. Regardless of where you're at or what you're walking through, know that your friends at City Hills Church are here for you. If you would like for us to pray for you, click the contact button on the top of the homepage and share your request with us. Our prayer team will keep you and your family in prayer every week. We hope you have an incredible day and that you discover a little more purpose throughout your week. We look forward to seeing you soon.